if you get the virus, you don't know how you're going to express your symptoms. You may have no symptoms, but you may also be on a ventilator. So my suggestion is you have to look at the risks and the reward. And for me, the reward is certainly higher than the risk. So I would say, yes, make a clear, informed decision. Do take the vaccine when you've thought about it. Look at your decision-making process and do not make a decision based on any videos forwarded to you. And don't forward those videos onto anybody. They are damaging. Welcome to Necessary Rebels. I'm Sandra. And I'm Kanna. We're two professional women who are passionate about tackling racism and inequalities in life and work. Whether you're in the USA or the UK, change is happening. Do you want to know how to be actively anti-racist? Do you want advice on challenging racism? Do you know how to have those uncomfortable conversations? Then lean in and join us with great tips from professionals on how to be a necessary rebel. Dr. Semi is clinical director at Titan Primary Care Network. She practices clinical medicine part-time in the United Kingdom where she teaches future general practitioners. She is involved in leading various public sector projects in healthcare, including population health management and primary care networks. She has a keen interest in wellness and is keen to share ideas on how you can live at your optimum health, everything we all want. She is also visiting consultant in the Department of Family Medicine at Lagos University Teaching Hospital. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Thank Sandy. you. Um, I also mentioned Iwan, who's also joining us, Iwan Obinian, who is a friend and producer of our podcast, who also has some questions for you, Dr. Sammy, and I thought it's best she comes and asks her question. Absolutely. Hello, Iwan. How are you today? Hey, Dr. Simi. Um, it's really lovely to meet you. I've been following you on Instagram, and um, I think that everything you're doing for our community is just spot on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's very kind. <laughs> okay, so I think we should just kind of jump right in. What I've noticed, this is the top topic at the moment, is vaccine hesitancy. And it feels like there's a real rush to kind of get this, you know, under control and getting information out into communities now. So I guess what I wanted to ask is, what do you think the current uptake of the vaccine is currently in Black and ethnic minority communities? Well, I think there's this massive rush, as you said, but... To be honest, I think the work should have been done many, many decades ago. And it's not and it's not just about vaccines, it's about the health outcomes of our community. Um, right now, there's a lot of mistrust from the black community, you know, and we, we're just not sure what um, the government is doing for us. And we, it's, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. So the, the, the statistics have been estimated to be that about 72% of the black community, community have some hesitancy in terms of accepting the vaccine. However, those are not accurate figures. But since we've been campaigning in the last few weeks, it's, things have really moved forward so quickly. I'm super impressed because now when we are giving the vaccines, they've added the ethnicity question, which wasn't there. For the first 5,000 vaccines I gave, there was no ethnicity question. But since we've been talking about it now, that has been added. So that will give us a more accurate estimate of the scale of the problem, shall I say. 
Because, I mean, we reached, I think, 10 million vaccines, which is incredible, right? It's phenomenal that we're vaccinating that many people. But I am really interested in knowing how many of those people are from Black and brown communities. You know, that's a big question that needs to be answered. And the fact that we weren't collecting that data initially is also a question. It's also kind of like, you know, what's this underlying thing happening here? Um, And I think it's another way racism shows up when we think about these things as well. Absolutely. It's really important. In healthcare, we have this is a question, but we haven't really been really serious about collecting that data. But I think since the COVID-19, there's that sort of consciousness now in the minds of everyone that we all need to be treated fairly and equally. And we all, we, you know, we all need to sort of pay attention to where the problem is. And the Black community, there's a massive problem with our health outcomes and it needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, Absolutely. Why do you think people are hesitant, you know, and why wasn't, and I mean, you addressed this a little bit already, but again, why do you think vaccine hesitancy wasn't addressed to begin with, especially when we know they, they've they had, there've been prior research on vaccine hesitancy in different groups of the population already. So they had this, why didn't they predict that there would be a problem and that uptake amongst these groups would be an issue? I think it was it was known, you know, vaccine hesitancy has been a problem since the beginning of time. And it's not just the black community that is hesitant. All communities are hesitant. It's just to the degree. So so I so I, I believe that it was known that it was an issue, but I can't make any excuses for the for the government. I don't know why it wasn't taken seriously from the get-go until just in the last sort of few weeks where it has really ramped up because we are speaking up. But what I'll say is this that we as black people also have a responsibility for our own health. And when we started shouting about it, everybody took us seriously. All I did was put a word out on Twitter to say, listen, I'm really concerned about about this. And the next thing I knew, I was in front of BBC Lukey's talking about it. So if we don't shout about it, then, you know, other people, yes, have a responsibility to all of us equally, but we do also need to push as well. There's a bit of responsibility on, on both sides, but it doesn't excuse the government's responsibility to every member of this country. And I think that's what is now being done. Hopefully it's not too late. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it's not too late. I think, you know, initiatives to improve uptake in Black and ethnic communities in the UK should be an urgent priority. And the fa- and I think, you know, and the fact that I mean, I know this is happening now, but it should have been happening where they were kind of in the communities, partnering in communities and making use of community champions. I know that's happening now, but, you know, these are things that could have been happening before the vaccine or with the rollout of the vaccine alongside it. You know, I agree with you entirely. And I think this is something that should even have been happening during the trials because we already knew that there were very few uh, black people involved in the trial. So it's from that point that should have been happening. But I've been in the system for so long. And this is something not just about vaccines. This is something I've been talking about for many years, about not just COVID, but also hypertension, diabetes, renal transplant. It's, it's, it's across board. So we, we need to make sure that this is not just um, limited to vaccine hesitancy, but to address the bigger problem of the structural inequity in, in, in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rollout of the vaccine is a public health policy, right? Those in charge should have known that this was coming. And I guess it, what it, it also makes me feel like 
because they weren't thinking along these lines, it tells me that public health is for is is for, is white health. It's not for everybody. Um, and how do we make sure public health is for everybody? It's for the public, no matter where you're from. It's for everybody. I agree with you entirely. Um, again, we can delve into issues of representation on, on the top levels. You know, that's a, that's, that's a whole different topic uh, as well. And I wouldn't want to, to take the attention away from from hesitancy, but it's important that we are represented at every level of policymaking. You know, if, if you are visible, then obviously our issues will also come to the table. As I said, again, it doesn't excuse the fact that it wasn't addressed, but there's an urgency that representation needs to be proportionate and it's not at the moment. Do you believe racism in its various forms is a fundamental cause and driver of ethnic differences in socioeconomic status and inequities in health outcomes? I do. I mean, I completely do. I'm a, I'm a woman, a black woman who moved to England from Nigeria, who is involved in leadership at every level. I understand the difficulty that we face trying to break barriers and trying to break ceilings and how sometimes demoralizing that will be. And I come from the viewpoint where I never knew I was, I didn't think I was different. I came with all the confidence in the world. I think I could access anything, right? So to then, to then come into a system where people have been systematically told from early on that they're not really good enough subliminally um, and now having children and seeing them go through the system and thinking, hmm, something not quite right here. I think that the racism expresses itself in all forms and we have to be militant about addressing it and not just the black community or the Asian community, but the white community as well. We have to come together to tackle racism together. It's everybody's problem, right? It is. I mean, you know, if if black and ethnic minorities are filling up the hospitals, I mean, you know, that's not that's not good for anybody. It's everyone's problem. We've we've all got to get it under control. I mean, do you do you believe minority groups should have been on the priority list for the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, that's um, I, I assumed that that would be the case because mm. what we heard last year was that um, black people are, you know three to four times more likely to die from COVID than their white counterparts. So my assumption was that it would be Black people first. But then I also understand vaccine hesitancy. And one of the things that was already being said, you know, this is off the record. This is not, um, it's anecdotal, shall I say, is that Black people are already thinking, oh, we don't want to be the first, we don't want to be guinea pigs. And it, it, would, it would raise a suspicion particularly after the French man said what he said. Oh um, I know. You know, we wouldn't want to be, if we're put first, I wonder whether the issue of, um, of the sort of hesitancy will have been worse because we might have wondered why, why we're being put first. So that's my, it's, it's anecdotal, it's not evidence-based, so that's my thinking. Um, however, I think we could be slightly further up in the cohorts. So, so we're not the first four, but maybe we could have been sort of five and six and, no, no, no. I agree with you. I kind of think if they'd given it to us first, we'd been like, I don't think so. Why are y'all trying this on me? Like, no. <laughs> but that is because we don't trust it to begin mm-hmm. with. There is this mistrust. You know, we we just have this, this this default mistrust in the system, unlike our white, you know, peers who don't have this kind of default mistrust. Correct. Everything about it is it it, it always boils down to do we trust it? I mean, if we just look at our health outcomes now, you know, we're five, I'm five times more likely to die in childbirth, more likely to, to die of heart disease, 
cancer. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is what we're facing. This is what we're dealing with. And so we don't have this natural, you know, inclination to trust, you know, health professionals when they say this is good for you. Correct. So Dr. Semi, do you think the vaccines are the only way to end the pandemic? That question has been asked so many times. Mm -hmm. The coronavirus pandemic needs almost a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach. So we've been doing all the other things we can do, the lockdown, the hand, face, face. The vaccine clearly would help to reduce transmissibility, as has been found out with the AstraZeneca vaccine and severe disease. You know, in doing that, we're hoping what would happen is that the viciousness of this virus would ebb and reduce. So it's not just the vaccine, it's it's everything else we're doing as well. Because as you know, the vaccine doesn't cure the virus. And there's no evidence that it prevents you from getting it. But what it would do is that the, the expression of the disease will be less severe, much like Every, most, most of the vaccines, like the flu vaccine, does the same thing. And we take that every year. Yeah, yeah. Black people are hesitant due to mistrust, and that mistrust is justified as they don't seem to care. If This is just the impression I get in my own opinion, as it, it, it feels like the government don't, doesn't seem to care if Black people take the vaccine or not, even though Black people are more likely to die. And if they did care... I just kind of feel like they would have put in place the measures that were proposed by the British Medical Journal. And I just don't understand why they didn't factor that into the program rollout. And I know we talked about this already, but it feels like they were more concerned about white people than they were um, any other race. And and I know, you, I know you're not speaking on behalf of the government, but I guess it's just how does that make you feel, you know, as a doctor working in this environment and knowing knowing what you know? How do you feel about that? And I've always had the same feeling about it. I don't feel any different today than I felt when I was um, the assistant chair of the of the clinical commissioning group in 2013 and found out that 70% of black people uh, of the people having dialysis were black. It's the same feeling I had. Uh, back then. And that was why I started Vine Health and started selling vitamin D because I knew that black people were disproportionately affected by vitamin D deficiency and you can't get tested for it on the NHS. So it's, it's the same feeling I have. And I don't know that it's an intentional um, thing to try and make us have poorer outcomes. I just think that they're just not thinking about it um, and and it's almost down to us to bring that consciousness to everybody else. I'll give you an example and why I say that. I'm not trying to excuse anyone and I'm not being political or diplomatic here. The reason why I say that is this. In, in that role many years ago, there was another ethnic group that were, that, that were determined to get antenatal care for just their community and they made a lot of noise about it and they approached us. And do you know that we, we did give them a million pounds just for antenatal care, just for their community? What, what that tells me is that as a community, we need to be more assertive in demanding what we want. We need to be a whole lot more assertive in demanding what we want and bringing our issues and lobbying, which is not something that we're very good at 
and pushing forward and, and being on the other table and talking about it. Um, and that's what I do at every meeting I go to. I say, listen, what about black people? Because I'm black and I'm there for me, not just um, for myself, but for other people that look like me um, as well. So I, I don't feel any different about, about it. It's the same sort of, we need to, you know, get ourselves um, well and we need to talk about our issues and everybody needs to listen. Thank you for that. Can you explain the differences in outcomes with those with underlying health conditions from COVID-19 between ethnic groups? So what's happened? I mean, there was that study that was done last year looking at the structural, at the differences of why do black people have poorer outcomes? And there was the whole discussion about structural racism, mm-hmm. the kind of jobs we do, socioeconomic status, underlying diseases. This is exactly what we've been saying since the top of, you know, since the beginning of this podcast that because we are other health outcomes have not been looked after, clearly when you get COVID and you have diabetes, hypertension that are poorly controlled, you're more likely to die. So it's, it's, it's just a vicious cycle. The same thing, you, we are in jobs that are sort of low paying, low paying jobs or low banding. So cleaners in the hospital, sort of nurses on very low bands. If you go to the a hospital, you will see a lot of black people at very low bands. And the higher you go up the banding, the salary scales, what banding means, it gets whiter and whiter and whiter. By the time you get to the board, you just don't see any, hardly see anybody that looks like you. Um, and, and those people at the top don't have contact with COVID. So they, they don't have any reason to die. It's all very um, uncomfortable reading and uncomfortable to see that we are just not we're just not protected. And that and that lack of protection has been built into the structure of the country, essentially. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, when we start to think about all of the other kind of health conditions we're having to deal with on top of COVID. Not, not, not even just the health conditions. Even when you go and seek help, even that what we call health literacy, which doesn't mean you're illiterate, by the way. It means that when you go to your doctor, how how much are you getting back? Uh, are you uh, do you know what you deserve? Do you know what you need? Are you listened to? You know, are, are your results acted on in a timely fashion? Do you you know? It's all of those little things that we find that the black community gets less of. So we're less likely to go to the to the doctors. We're less likely to demand to say, look, I need this. This is what, but you know, what does this mean? So it's all of that that also plays into why our diseases just are not well controlled. So you see us with really high blood pressures, sudden deaths, very poorly controlled diabetes, autoimmune diseases that out of this world, just not good. So it's, as I said, it's not just the diseases, it's our approach. We're not the only ones that have diabetes and hypertension. It's not a black disease. Everybody else gets it, but why are we the ones that die from it disproportionately? That's a really good question. I think we've got to be loud. As you say, we've got to really advocate for ourselves around our own health conditions. If something's wrong, you know your own body, you need to be loud about it. And, you know, we've got to knock on the doors harder than anyone else. We've got to be louder about, you know, how we feel about things and, and you know, and anything that's wrong with us. We've got to be really loud about that. It's, it, it's sad that that's how we have to be, but it's the only way we're going to be listened to. We've got to be really loud. 
We have to be loud. And it's not, you know, I could go on all day about this. And it's not just health. It's, it's, it's an interplay. So if you look at even the education system, it's the same thing. You'll find out that black boys, very smart from reception to year six. After that, it drops. Aspiration drops. So, of course, you won't find them in, in Russell Group universities. You won't find them around the table with FTSE 500 companies because there's something going on in the education system as well. And this is data that I've looked at because I was, I was formerly clinical director for children's services for about five years. And looking at this data, my heart breaks. I'm like, what's, what's, what's happening to this? What, what happened? How come they were topping maths at this point? And then they get to another point and they're, and, and they're bottom. It, it, it's, there's a lot going on. There's so much work to do here, Dr. Sammy. There's so much work to do here. So much work to do. I'm going to hand you over to Iwan now because Iwan has some questions for you. And I think I, I just felt like it was probably best that she asked you herself. Okay. Over to you, Iwan. Hey, Dr. Sumi. Hi. <laughs> uh, listening to you was like, yeah, really amazing. And, and the thing on education is something that I fully agree with because I'm a qualified teacher and I lecture now. And I've seen it time and time again where young black boys just hit a ceiling as soon as they come out of primary school. And the forces of this system that we live in just really slam into them in a big way, you know. But um, yeah, we have to keep going. We have to keep advocating and not taking no for an answer from anyone in the system, you know? Correct. So my questions, I have sickle cell trait and I have had a few crises when I was in my teen years. Are the vaccines safe for people with sickle cell? Yes, they, they are. In fact, I answered this question on another forum just the day before yesterday, because if you have sickle cell trait, it's a bit safe. I don't know what kind of sickle cell trait you have. Now, there are different types as well. So it depends on whether you're AS or SC, or, you know, there's just different, different traits, but you are, more, you are more susceptible to have severe COVID. So it's, it's safe to have the vaccine. It's also, I think, on the Sickle Cell Society website about the vaccine, that it's safe and it's been endorsed. So definitely, yes. Would you advise waiting to see what happens before taking the vaccine? Uh, my question is waiting to see what happens in what sense? What are we waiting to see? So some people have, for example, said that after they've taken the vaccine, the left side of their body has dropped, for example. You know, so people have concerns about the long term effects of the vaccine. So I guess waiting to see what those long term effects might be. Well, I wouldn't advocate waiting to see. In my, in my vaccine centre, we've given over 5,500 vaccines of both types and nobody's left side has dropped. We've not had any severe reactions. All that we've had is what you would have with most other vaccines, which is an achy left arm. Um, for one of the vaccines, you might feel a bit fluey or feel a bit, you know, when your body's building the or mounting the, the immune response, you might have that sort of fevery feeling and um, also just feeling achy, which will last for about a day and then settle. We've not had anyone whose left side has dropped. Obviously, with this one, it wasn't rushed. Like people say it was rushed. There's obviously we don't have long term data on it. But with most vaccines, we've had to build up that data. And it depends on, it depends on what you mean by wait and see. How long is wait, you know, waiting? A year? Three years? 
50 years. So, so we need to sort of have um, some, some strict definitions, I'll, I'll say, about waiting. Normally, vaccines take about two years, if I'm not mistaken, to develop. So I guess some people are wondering, myself included, how has this been developed so quickly? Yeah, vaccines take longer. I mean, an average vaccine trial time will probably be about four to five years. Um, but that's because of several factors. You know, first of all, you would need people to participate, you know, so you need a, a good pool of participants. And for many diseases, you just don't have that. So you, you don't have a good pool. You will need a lot of funding. Again, you know, people are tr- bidding for funding. There's no money. So participants, we had loads of COVID patients. Funding, we every all the countries, you know, flooded this with money. So that, that was not an issue. The other thing we would use, we would do with, um, uh, with trials is that you would have it state phase one, finish that, report the data, phase two, you know. But with this one, this was being run concomitantly. So it, it was as phase one was finishing, phase two, there was no breaks. There was no, everybody was geared at making sure that this went ahead. So all the hoops were removed. You know, you would have to wait for the, you know, for the FDA or wait for MHRA. Everybody was working together. So there was nothing. So that that's why it was shortened. The other thing is the technology that was used has been in development from the 90s and then really ramped up in the 2000s with the first SARS outbreak. So we've had other coronaviruses that I've had, we've had some issues with. So this mRNA technology started being developed then. So, so it's, it, it appears that way on the surface, but all the hoops have been removed. And, and that's why it appears that it's really been sped up because it, it had to be. So... In essence, we've had coronavirus before in in the world. This is not the first time that we're seeing coronavirus. So there's a bit of a template already for the production of the vaccine, right? That's correct. We've had coronavirus. I don't know if you're you're probably too young to remember 2002 and the first SARS outbreak that went halfway around the world, killed hundreds of people and then just fizzled out. And that was when countries committed to building a template for building vaccines very quickly. So it's not the first time we've had, and coronaviruses are all around us. Some of them cause a common cold as well. So they, they're, they're there. So what, what makes this virus different then? Why is it so such a big thing with lockdowns if it's quite a common thing? Yeah, so, so viruses express themselves in different ways. So you have families of viruses, like you have families in the world. So the coronaviruses are viruses that look like they have a crown, but they are protein. What's on them is what makes them different. So if you just if they change one part of their protein, they will either become more transmissible, more virulent, or less virulent. So it's it's just the way it expresses itself. And so obviously, when we had the first SARS, that was a coronavirus that went a little bit awol, like went was sort of quite um, vicious. Um, and then you would have MERS, you have a few others, and then you have another one that would, like this one that just became really, again, very, very, very vicious. And some of some sometimes you will have a vaccine, just like the flu virus, and the vaccine will work. And you will have somewhere the vaccine won't work, and we'll have to tweak the vaccine. So it's just the nature, the nature of viruses. We have viruses, bacteria, different, different fun, fungus, but viruses are sneaky little, I don't know what to call them, but they are really sneaky, and, and, they, and they do this. Um, and this won't be the last, you know. But we have to be prepared that if any virus does this, that we're able to quickly tackle it and deal with it. In essence, we're the guinea pigs for this vaccine, some people would say. 
We are not the guinea pigs. The guinea pigs have um, been done last year. So the people that were kind enough to put themselves forward as trial participants, are the, they're the heroes, really. They're the true heroes. When there was no, you know, had, we didn't have this vaccine before, thousands and thousands of people put themselves forward to be tested. So we've already had the guinea pigs, who are, who are people that we should say thank you to. And they're all still in the trial. They're all still being monitored. They're all still being followed. The first person was given way back um, almost 10 months ago. So we, we already have people who are, shall I say, guinea pigs, who we say thank you to. Definitely. And I say thank you and salute them as well, because I know I couldn't be a, a, a guinea pig. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, will So some people are worried about the impact on fertility. Will the vaccine make people infertile? No, it, it will not. Um, actually, we even say that even if you're trying to get pregnant, you can still have the vaccine. We say that people who are pregnant should not have the vaccine unless they are in very high risk jobs where they are at risk of getting severe COVID. But apart from that, whether you're planning to become pregnant, you can go ahead and have the vaccine. What, what has been said is that there's no long term data, as we've just tackled before. Um, and there's no long-term data for most things because, as we said, the trial started last year. So we are still, you know, watching. But there's no, there's nothing about um, infertility, and it should not affect your your fertility. We've had so many other vaccines as well, and there's there's nothing about fertility with them either. Amazing. And are you 100% sure? there isn't pork in the vaccines because some of our brothers and sisters are Muslim and they worry about that. No, there is no pork. I'm 100% sure there's no pork in the vaccines unless we've been lied to and they can't do that. You know, they're regulated. There's, there's no pork. It's, it's halal. It's uh, safe for vegetarians. It, it's, it's safe. There's no pork in it. Is the vaccine safe for black and brown people? It is safe for black and brown people, even though we know that the trial participants were there were black participants were not as many as we would like, but it is it is safe for safe for us. And I would say, look at all the data, look at all the educate yourself, look at look at everything, and make a, make an informed decision. Um, I'm not here to force people to take the vaccine, but what I'm I'm slightly uncomfortable with is people telling others not to take the vaccine based on anecdotal unfounded, unproven WhatsApp videos. That's my main concern. And how can we be assured that the vaccine will protect us from any new variants or strains? I'm not a a virologist, you know, but this is an ongoing study. So basically, we're very lucky in the UK that our uh, our scientific community is so, so far forward so the testing is continuous. You know, we're constantly checking the viruses and constantly checking the efficacy of our current vaccines you know, to, to those viruses. And we will change it and tweak it if it's necessary. So we, we know that there's been various variants. And what is being said now is that the current vaccines are still effective in protecting us against severe disease from those variants. But, but this is an ongoing thing. It's not stopping. The studies are ongoing. So hopefully we're one step ahead of these viruses and and their mutations. In Africa, it has appeared that the virus doesn't seem to have affected Africa as much as it's affected other parts of the world. Do you have any thoughts on why that may be? 
No, I, I have thoughts on it, and I wouldn't say that it's affected us less. Or because I, again, I work in I work in Lagos in in Nigeria, so I know ex- exactly what's going on. Our healthcare system is less developed, much less developed. So we're in the process of hopefully getting better. So we don't test nowhere near, nowhere near, not a fraction near the testing that is being done in the UK at all. So we can't tell you the true scale of COVID. Our structure, our data collection is also a problem. So you can't really tell. But I know that right now there's a bit of an uh, of, of an acceleration. So we had in the first outbreak, um, there were a few people on ventilators, not many. We felt that the expression was less. Uh, but now there's also an increase um, I go to Lagos quite often, and I was—I've been there during this whole time. I've been there in and out, and I can tell you that Lagos is uh, is ahead because you can't go into anywhere, any place, without fully sanitizing, washing your hands, sanitizing your luggage, everything, and that's sort of just like where we manage Ebola. And and Lagos has been actually been shown as one of the you know the best. We manage Ebola the best. So there's there's some learning that needs to be done from Nigeria as well. So it's again it's multifaceted. It's not as simple as we put it. It's not it's not that simple. Yeah, because I was thinking that you know Africa has a long history of dealing with some incredibly devastating diseases and viruses, and so I think there's an element of in the UK it was a shock. Whereas in Africa, I just don't think it was that big of a shock. That That's definitely my view on things. And we, and we certainly love to live and laugh and dance. And we don't really want to die. Yeah. So if, if you're told to wear your mask, wash your hands, sanitize your whole body, wear your gloves, you will do it. Nobody, nobody questions, nobody you know, bats an eyelid. Whereas here, we're more, say, we're, we're more concerned with, oh, my human rights, I'm not going to, I don't want to wear a mask. Nobody says that. So we, 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 love to, we love to live. We love life. So we will do whatever it takes. 100%. I love that. And then I guess my last question is, why should I take the vaccine? When it comes to your turn, I mean, I guess you're speaking, you, I, as maybe a, a figurative language, and maybe not you personally, but the younger people is going to take ages to get to you anyway. You know, because right now the cohorts were focusing on a 50 and above, and we probably won't finish that for those four months. Um, but for anyone listening, the reason you should take the vaccine is that we need to achieve, it's not just for you, it's for everybody else. There's a certain penetration of, of vaccine uptake that we need to achieve for us to be able to get this virus to be less uh, vicious. So it's important to do your part, number one. Secondly, you also want to take it, particularly if you're at risk, because if you get the virus, you don't know how you're going to express your symptoms. You may have no symptoms, but you may also be on a ventilator. So my suggestion is you have to look at the risks and the reward. And for me, the reward is certainly higher than the risk, the risk of getting COVID and being, being in hospital. So I would say, yes, make a clear, informed decision. Do take the vaccine when you've thought about it. I don't force people to do anything. It's, I'm libertarian, so I, you know, take it, but look at your look at your decision making process, and do not make a decision based on any videos forwarded to you, and don't forward those videos onto anybody. They they are they are damaging, and because if somebody else doesn't take it because of you, and they die, you've pretty much killed somebody. So so don't do it. 
Thank wow. you so much. Those those WhatsApp videos. I mean, what is up with that? It, that's a virus in and of itself. It is. <laughs> it really is. Wow, that's really, really powerful stuff. And and getting people to think that you could be responsible for someone else's death is, is quite, you know, you've got to live with that, right? I really do hope people are listening. I guess my default attitude isn't that of blind trust in the medical establishment. Far from it just like so many people who might be listening to this podcast, that sort of trust has been undermined by a history of significant inequalities in health outcomes or in the treatment of Black and ethnic minorities. And those inequities persist till this day. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that Black and Asian people are currently mistreated, ignored, excluded, and in the past experimented on. And that's been um, shared a lot recently as well, uh, the experiments. And even though I am aware of this and it upsets me and it makes me angry and I have my own personal experience in the health system where I nearly died myself because I wasn't listened to and I was treated really poorly simply because I was a black woman. I don't want that caution to disadvantage me when it comes to making a decision about the vaccine. Justified caution can easily escalate to fear, particularly when it is fueled by misinformation. And I don't want to be frightened off from making the right decision for myself. So I am definitely going to take the vaccine when it is my turn to take the vaccine. But I also don't want to dismiss people's concerns. And I don't want people to think that they're being silly or naive. People have genuine worries about the vaccine, which is why it's important that we make sure that they get trusted, accurate, accessible information which I hope that we have helped to um, deliver today with you, Dr. Simi. Thank you so, so much. I mean, just I've just learned so much from you today and just hearing your experience about working in, 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 in the health profession and what that experience is like for you as a Black woman. Dr. Simi, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been amazing. And it's just been so nice to hear from you and um, to get a better understanding about what's happening. I'm really pleased to hear that. Thank you. People have genuine worries about the vaccine, which is why it's important that we get trusted, accurate and accessible information. Um, That is really, really, really important. Uh, And I think another thing to also think about is to ask yourself why, why you would take the vaccine and why you wouldn't take your vaccine. I think that's a really good place to start is to think about your why. So ask yourself what, what's the why and think about the pros and the cons. As Dr. Sammy said, those are really, really important. You know, the risk of taking the vaccine and the risk of not taking the, the vaccine. And, you know, this will help with your discussion with your own health provider and a family member or someone else you trust. To anyone who's taken the time to listen to this podcast, the only person that can make this decision is you. And I hope you're able to make that decision only once you are fully armed with all of the proper information. Any concerns you have, please do speak to your health provider. And there's plenty of information on NHS England. You can also get information from the CDC. That's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, You can Google that. They have plenty of up-to-date information on vaccines, questions and answers, symptoms, all kinds of things available on that website. So please, please, please look up trusted information. That's really, really important that you are looking up trusted information and, and speak to your health provider about any questions you might have. 
You can find Necessary Rebels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on Instagram at Necessary underscore Rebels underscore pod. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Necessary Rebels. This was an II Studios production. We'll see you for the next episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>